Well, good morning and welcome to Education Matters. We are talking today about uh, Education Matters in the Upper Cumberland with a special guest, Dr. Jeff Roberts, the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences and the past chairman of the Department of History and the faculty athletics representative at Tennessee Tech University. Jeff, welcome. Thank you, Bob. It's good to be here. Well, I should say welcome back. And boy, have we got we got all kind of things to talk about with all those roles you play. I'll be glad to. Well, um, I know you've been on before, and some folks know you well, but others may not know you. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I was born in a little place called Pinckneyville, Illinois. It's in the southern part of the state. I grew up most of my childhood years in, in that area with a brief foray out to California. Uh, my high school years were in the Chicago area before I went off to Cornell University in upstate New York. Uh, came back to Chicago for a year, worked for a while, um, but wanted to go back to school. And in, in 1982, I went to Ohio State to begin work on my master's and Ph.D., um, a move that I've never regretted. Um, finished that up in 1990, and in 91, I saw a, a job application uh, from Tennessee Tech, looking for somebody wanting to teach about the Middle East, about Russia, and about World War II, and those happened to be my three specialty areas. So I applied, I came down here, really liked the people I met, and now I've stayed for 31 years, and I still like the people I work with today. Isn't it amazing? Uh, We both are not native, but long-termers here, and uh, there are just a lot of great people around here, a lot of great people at Tech. Absolutely. This is home now. It is yeah. home. I, I agree. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about your your background in Russian studies and the Ukraine and things like that. But first, uh, uh, you are the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, and that's a fairly new move. Um, less than a year. Less than a year at this yeah. point. So how are you adjusting to, to that? You were a long-term chair of the Department of History. I was. It's it's definitely a, a step up in the sense of responsibilities. I, I like to compare it to moving from being a coach to being an athletic director. I mean, I, I have I have nine departments now. I used to have, you know, a team of 12, and now I have a nine teams of 165 or something like that. A little bit more complexity to Very it. Very much so, and, and diversity. There's, there's such diversity yes. among our nine departments. And that's great. Well, tell us about those nine departments. And yes, you you have to speak physics one minute, and and maybe uh, maybe chemistry somewhere else. But then you've got to go over and and do English. Yeah, and the others are biology and earth sciences and mathematics and foreign language and sociology, political science, and of course history. Um, and it, it's been fascinating to to learn all the activities of those departments. Um, One of the real joys of this past year has been hiring 14 new faculty members who will be starting with us this fall and participating in the search processes was really an eye-opening experience to see what it is our departments do and the areas in which they're trying to grow. And they, um, you you mentioned diversity. Uh, They don't all have the same angle of vision on the university, do they? Uh, they're they're very different, very different standards, very different requirements, very different goals. Um, essentially, our our college does four things. If I could put them in baskets, we we provide 
over a third of the general education um, on campus. We do that for everybody. Um, of course, we teach all our various majors as well. We provide a lot of base courses. Uh, for example, the engineers don't just take one math course. They take a whole lot of them to prepare for their their uh, curricula. And then lastly, we, we do our own research. I mean, the faculty in the College of Arts and Sciences uh, raised well over $4 million just in last year alone, and uh, those activities are also quite eye-opening. Well, tell us a little bit about the research. What, what kind of things typically go on? Now, I know in the Department of History, you guys have had some state grants, and you, you did things with the Alvin York Institute, but... To sort of describe some of the other kind of grants. Oh my goodness, that, that that's going to be hard to do in just a just a short amount of time. Um, I think the best thing to do would be to come and take a tour of the new lab sciences building. Yeah, I'll just bet. just walk around it. Um, we, we talked earlier about how what a fabulous building that is, and uh, it, you've got to see it to really do it justice. I don't know that I can do it just on the radio, but it's so airy. It's so open. There are so many different laboratories. Four of our sciences, all four, are there in one way, shape, or form. Uh, chemistry, biology, physics, and earth sciences. And it's it's just, again, such a, a beautiful facility. It even smells good for a chemistry <laughs> building. Uh, you know, and Foster Hall did not do oh, that. Foster Hall still doesn't. In fact, Foster Hall's still standing, at least for the time being. Yeah. If you want to compare the two, you can. Um, yeah, Walk into Foster very, first and then go over there. Or either way, you'll be <laughs> yeah. able to tell the contrast. Well, it is yeah. a landmark building. It's a beautiful new building on campus. And yeah. and, um, and one of your alumni, um, uh, a physics major, Terry Sonecipher, uh, made a multi-million dollar commitment to to that building, and one of the the halls is named for him. Absolutely. In fact, we have his picture displayed prominently, along with Fred Culp, former professor of physics there, and four other classmates. They had a class of six back then in wow. the physics department. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's great. And for any of our listeners that do not know, uh, Harry Stonecipher came out of uh, Scott County or Jamestown area, somewhere up in there, and um, came down to Tech and was dropped off by his grandmother and and then um, basically said, we'll see you at Christmas, and, and um, went on with a physics major to join General Electric and, and became a vice president for aircraft engines, then became CEO of McDonnell Douglas and then CEO of the Boeing Corporation. So Tennessee Tech graduates, the uh, wings up has meant a lot for a long time, hasn't it? Mr. Stonecipher's record is indeed very, very impressive. Yes, <laughs> and he's a great gentleman. In in addition to that, so, but it's great to have him back uh, supporting Tech in in so many different ways. Well, uh, what are the biggest challenges you see as as dean these days? You know, the gut, gut response there is budget, but that's not very helpful. So let me say maybe enrollment is the right answer. And here's why. Um, when the governor, Governor Haslam at the time, uh, made community college essentially free, yes, that has resulted in a lessening of attendance at the universities. And it's hit arts and sciences particularly hard because it mostly hits general education. 
So we're looking at, at sluggish enrollment numbers and trying to make them come back. Now, I think the challenge to that is we have to both maintain and improve our existing programs while at the same time growing our online offerings. And balancing that with a limited amount of faculty resources and fiscal resources, that's probably the biggest challenge. I would imagine it is. And uh, in some ways, that challenge never ends. It's there. I remember when I was dean, that was it didn't keep you up at night, but it certainly took a lot of a lot of time. And Governor Bredesen, who uh, preceded Governor Haslam, there was no doubt he had one word for universities, and it was enrollment. Uh, he wanted to see enrollment growth, and uh, this this move to bring the community colleges. And I'm a community college graduate, so I I respect the general edu- education framework that they. They have, but it, it presents a challenge when it's free or, or you have a choice of coming to tech and paying, paying tuition. Right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I understand that challenge a lot. Well, tell us about these last couple of years, some of the highlights uh, of, your, um, of your, your time as dean, some of the big things that have gone on. And I think we should also mention you lost some really wonderful colleagues in the Department of History this past year. So we've had some lowlights, too, with Calvin Dickinson and and uh, Bill Brinker before that and, and uh, Mike Birdwell. Major, major players have have gone on. Yeah, absolutely. It has been a, a tough time for the history department recently uh, with the losses of those giants. I mean, Bill was was chair for eight years. Calvin and Bertie both had tremendous records of publication and such diversified interests. And they did so many different things for our department. Um, we miss them. We miss them greatly. We certainly do. Of course, on top of that, you know, we're still getting off of COVID and you know, COVID was a challenge for everybody in so many ways. I think in some ways history um, suffered all the more because we've always prided ourselves on on field trips and in-person research, um, in-person learning writ large, and that became more or less impossible. Um, I think one of the great new things that we've we've started, we started a interdisciplinary student travel fund this year as dean, and we've already had our first donations to that. And uh, we're going to allow for for field trips, for example, if history wants to get get together with geology and go to Mammoth Cave, something like that, or or if we want to pair with one of the sciences and go to Oak Ridge, we now have a a fund for that. And I'm, I'm just looking forward to getting able to take those kind of trips again because students love those kind of experiences. I think there's a pent-up demand for that. And you're right, it brings history alive when you can, uh, can go to the National Lab or, you, or Mammoth Cave. Yeah, or, or Shiloh or so many of the other great We were blessed sites. with just phenomenal uh, trips and possibilities for history. We are. And getting study abroad back, too, is another thing I'm just really thankful for. And we want to talk about study abroad after the break. We are going to take a very quick break, and then we'll come back and get back to those challenges in arts and sciences, as well as some of the great opportunities ahead. This is Local Matters. We'll be right back. 
What's so important about shopping with locally owned businesses? When you shop local, your hard-earned dollars stay here in the community, helping to benefit your friends and neighbors, local schools, roads, and all aspects of community life. But what happens to my money if I spend it online or at a national chain store? In most cases, the profits go far away, out of state, corporate headquarters, or even overseas. It doesn't take any extra effort to shop local. Office Mart on South Jefferson and Cookville is your locally owned office furniture and supply store. For over 35 years, they've been proud to serve businesses in the Upper Cumberland with quality and value. You get real customer service, too. And unlike shopping online, you can actually see and try out the large inventory of office furniture in their showroom. And when it's delivered, it's not a box on your step. They're glad to install and set up everything. Office Mart. There's no other locally owned office store in the region. South Jefferson Avenue across from Hardee's. Shop local at Office Mart. Welcome back to Local Matters. We are talking to Dr. Jeff Roberts, uh, a, a good friend and dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Tennessee Tech University. And Jeff, just before the break, we were talking about being able to take trips again, uh, students being able to take trips. Talk about the value of student exchange as they move to other countries, or or even as they take trips in this country, but certainly as they experience others. Well, I've had thirty years of experience with students on on student exchange, and in those thirty years, I had one who had a bad experience, and I've had dozens who have considered it to be probably the greatest thrill of their lives. You just learn so much when you immerse yourself in another culture. You learn so much about people. You learn so much about history. You learn so much about life in general. I mean, for for so many people, it is such such a wonderful experience. I remember in Aachen, Germany, talking to one of our exchange students when we were over there, and I said, what's been the big difference between Cookville and Tennessee Tech and uh, the University of Aachen in Aachen, Germany. And she said, well, you know, we're at the home of Charlemagne, so uh, it goes back a few more years than Cookville. But she showed me her student ID, which had a Eurorail pass attached to it. Mm-hmm. And she said, I've been in every capital in Europe during this time that I've I've been studying here in, in Germany. So they do get just a, just a wonderful experience. Absolutely. What are some of the other... Uh, big events that have happened in the college this past year. Anything else come to mind? I want to move over to talk about current history a little bit here in just a second. Well, um, again, there's, there's there have been so many first-time things for me as a dean. I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning something new every day, like getting to go to graduation and shake shake 400 hands. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thankful I've had the student-athlete honor roll to prepare me for that, that kind of um, episode. Um, of course, we're looking into new program development. Um, one interesting case in point is we've proposed a digital humanities minor. Uh, we hope to grow that further into a, a more robust program. Um, we are working on a new major or perhaps majors in health sciences. Um, that's certainly taking up a yeah. lot of our time. Um, I think we've got a lot of potential there for growth. Uh, again, we are considering other possibilities in other disciplines. Um, I've essentially rebuilt the office as well. When, when Dean Sims stepped down, um, our administrative assistants essentially went with him, 
and I've I've hired a uh, new financial analyst, new administrative associate, new uh, director of this of the advisement center. Um, there's there's not many dull moments in the office of the dean of the College of Arts and Science. He's been busy this year, no very, question about that. Very much so. Well, the world has been busy too. So now I want you to put on your hat as a historian for a few minutes, and uh, it's been an interesting time. Uh, history clearly is being written as we speak. And uh, as a historian, what do you think the history books are going to say about this time? We've seen a, what we've seen a pandemic. We've seen what some people characterize as an attempted takeover of the U.S. government. We've seen uh, Russia invade Ukraine. You know, my, my first word is tragedy. There's just so many tragedies. Ukraine in particular just breaks my heart. And I personally wasn't entirely over Afghanistan. I think it's sad that we've forgotten about what a tragedy that was um, and is still ongoing. I mean, what the Taliban is doing over there probably should be in the news more than it is because that is just awful. But as a historian, when I look at it all, I'm reminded of how I felt back when the Cold War ended. I mean, we were all so happy in 1989 and 1990, um, just so joyous about so many things. And I never thought I would say that I miss the Cold War, but I do because back then we had a common enemy, and that helped bring our country together. And so much of the the problems we have today, I think, probably wouldn't be such big problems if we still had an outside threat that we all were in agreement about that we could come together on. Unfortunately, now without that, we're at each other's throats. And that is just more tragedy. It is. It's it's unfortunate. And, and um, it's not the first time that that has happened. Uh, you and I both lived through the, the Vietnam War era. And uh, I'm older than you. And so I saw maybe a bit more of the rioting than, than you did, but uh, I saw it, enough of it. it yeah. was clearly a divisive time then too. Um, but I I like to read a lot in the, about the Civil War, and this period reminds me so much of the 1850s and the the time that just before the Civil War. I don't think we're there. I don't think it is that level of of divisiveness. But it's just unfortunate that the country is being torn apart like this. Very much so. Yeah, it is. It's sad. And I, I've, I wish there were ways to pull things together. So what about Ukraine? Ukraine mm. was a part of Russia at one time. Ukraine's where Russia started. Yeah. Yes. So mm. they've, they see it as a homeland in many ways. Um, the Russians do see it as where the Russian state was born. And that's that part is true. The first Russian state was based in Kiev. That was the the old capital but you know that was a thousand years ago too <laughs> and the ukrainians have definitely gone a different direction um they identify more with the west um and then i mean the whole question of what went wrong with putin is one that i scratched my head about him and he wasn't always um evil or wrong-headed or whatever i mean when he first came in he seemed like such an improvement over boris yeltsin Yes. But I think in some ways the wheels began to come off when he threw out their constitution to be president for a third term. I think that's a danger when you do things like that. And, you know, at at the time in 2014 when they took over Crimea, 
it didn't seem like perhaps that big of a deal because Crimea is mostly Russian, ethnically Russian. But, you know, now it looks a little more like a Sudetenland of sorts. And, and, and just, you know, where, where Putin is coming from right now, I, I don't understand. It, it makes no sense that he is behaving in this abhorrent way. And, and, you know, ultimately what his motives are, I, again, I'm a historian, not a fortune teller. I don't know, but it terribly, terribly bad miscalculation on his part. And it, at some point he should, he should pay the consequences, in my opinion. This, this is a war crime. Well, I, I think many people see it that way. Uh, do you think he will um, uh, be victorious and have a point where he can say enough is enough? Ah, uh, that's again, that's, that's guesswork. I, I don't know that the Ukrainians want to give in at this point in time. And the Ukrainian army is doing so much better than anybody expected. And their their defiance is inspiring the world to help them. And um, I, I don't really see them giving in right now at this point. Um, will there be a point where both sides have just simply had enough? Perhaps. Um, you know, you look at, for example, the Iran-Iraq War, and they eventually sort of ran out of gas in eight eight years, and maybe it'll be something like that. But eight years, I gosh, I hope this doesn't go on that long. It's going to be a disaster. By it already is a disaster, and it's it's just a shame to see yeah. this visited on a on a on a beautiful place. Absolutely, and an undeserving place, a place that it had done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve this. Well, we yeah. are. Um, We are going to take another break, and then we're going to come back and change gears totally and talk about uh, your role as faculty athletics representative and a little bit about what's going on in the Ohio Valley Conference. This is Local Matters. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Local Matters. Uh, We are talking education matters today with Dr. Jeff Roberts, the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Tennessee Tech University. And Jeff, we've we've talked about the College of Arts and Sciences. We've talked about your role as a historian, uh, but we haven't talked about athletics. And you play a special role on the Tennessee Tech campus when it comes to athletics. You are an FAR. Tell us what the faculty athletics representative does. Well, it's you know it's hard to sum it all up briefly, but I can put it in in three big baskets in terms of what I do as FAR. Um, one is I make sure of what is called institutional control. I make sure that the president and the AD are the ones who are running athletics and not some outside entity. That's probably the easiest part of the job. Um, second part is I look out for student athlete welfare. In the broadest sense of the word, we want to make sure that our student athletes are being well treated. Uh, We want to make sure that they have the same opportunities that are afforded the rest of the student body. Uh, We want to address any kind of concerns that they might have. And I have a lot of roles that I play within that. And then lastly, uh, my job is to ensure academic integrity, to make sure that our student athletes are not getting any kind of unfair treatment or any kind of advantageous treatment as they pursue legitimate degrees in route to their academic careers. That's a full plate. Uh, plenty to do there. <laughs> Absolutely. Again, it's it's never a dull moment. So in that role, you um, you interact a lot at the Ohio Valley Conference level. You you serve on and have in the past served on NCAA kind of activities. 
so you know what's going on in Indianapolis. Um, so um, as much as anybody does, as, at yeah, this I, point. I think that's uh, always uh, been a bit of a uh, what's really uh, what's really happening there. Uh, the one of the questions, though, that someone asked me the other day out on the street is um, uh, there are some pretty significant changes going on at the NCAA level, but especially the OVC has been in the news with some changes. So we've seen some folks leave the OVC and others join. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I just came back from the OVC conference, OVC spring meetings earlier this month, and there's simply a lot of new faces in the room. I mean, it, it feels different to not have Belmont, to not have Austin P, to not have Murray State. I think that one may have felt the most odd. Um, we did welcome three new members, um, Southern Indiana, uh, Lindenwood University out of St. Louis, and Arkansas Little Rock. Um, clearly, you know, half of the players essentially are new at this point. Um in some ways, the, the geography of the conference has really shifted. Um, when I started as FAR, the geographic midpoint of the conference was roughly around Franklin, Kentucky. And now it literally is almost in the Ohio River. It's, it's just across the river from Golconda in Illinois. Um, so, yeah, there's, we've, we've, there's a lot of change. <laughs> and yet... Southern Indiana sits right, Evansville sits right on the Ohio River. Absolutely. They're a natural for this conference, and they've grown to a bigger position than they used to be, and so uh, it, it'll be interesting. I agree. I agree, and we're, we're looking forward to it. We're still very proud members of the Ohio Valley Conference. We've got a long history with it, and um, we're excited. Yeah, that, and that's great. One of the changes that it brought or that these these migrations have brought is um, not all of the schools play football now. And that was true before. We brought in Belmont, and Belmont did not ever play football. Uh, we've had others. So we've got some now that don't play football, and the OVC has had to reach out to some other schools outside the conference for scheduling, right? Right. We've made some temporary deals, I think, with both the Southland Conference and the Big South to uh, schedule some non-conference games. Um, Murray State is still going to play football with us for a while, and Lindenwood, one of the new ones, is bringing in football. Um, so we're hoping that we can we can sort of keep keep football in-house. The biggest challenge is in a sport that I know you care about a lot, and that's men's tennis. Um, we are quite low on men's tennis teams now, so we've reached out to the Horizon Conference to essentially join forces with them to make sure that one of us gets an automatic qualifier. How about that? So yeah. talk about the automatic qualifier. That's one of the issues is can these uh, student-athletes play after winning a conference, right? Right. right. In order to, to do that, you have to have at least six teams in your conference. That's true for all NCAA sports. Now, there is a grace period if you drop below it briefly. So, you know, you can still make it with five for a year, but eventually you have to find a sixth one. Um, some of you may have noticed that Tennessee Tech has added a new sport. We're adding beach volleyball. And part of the reason is because that brings the OVC up to six teams. So we can now have 
give our student athletes the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament, which means so much to them. To get to go to those tournament games uh, is an ultimate goal of all of our student athletes. And I've watched a lot of beach volleyball on the beach when I lived in Florida. Uh, where's the beach? Well, <laughs> we've got an engineering school that I'm sure can build one for us. <laughs> they can build a Baja track here in Cookville. They can do they that, can, too. They can build a beach. And yeah, we'll, we've got a very successful volleyball team, and so it's a natural extension to move over to the beach volleyball sport. Right. And right. it is an Olympic sport, so it's it's not like this is small time. These are yeah, it's one of the fastest growing sports in in women's athletics right now. So uh, uh, just a lot, a lot happened. We mentioned women's athletics. Tech has been known for some time as as a leader in gender equity, and so explain the rule on gender equity and why. Folks may say, well, why do they have a women's volleyball team but not a men's volleyball team? Explain gender equity. Well, the, the answer is balance, and the big challenge of balance is football. I mean, there simply is no women's football. So you need to have a soccer team or a volleyball team in order to and a volleyball team in order to balance things out. Because the rule, the NCAA rule, really Title IX of the Civil Rights Act says you must have a balanced athletic program that reflects the balance in your student body, right? Right. And, of course, you know, defining equal opportunity can be a challenge at times, but I think we do a, a really good job. Case in point, go look at our men's and our women's basketball facilities. They are identical, right? They, they're opposite each other. They are overlooking the Hooper Evelyn. They both play on the same floor. I love the way we do our double headers in the OVC. I think that's just so good for women's basketball um, and men's basketball, too. Um, we also have a bit of an advantage. Our hidden advantage is we have a student body that leans slightly more towards men. So in terms of overall proportion, we don't have to be right at 50 or over 50 like some of the other schools would be. But we have always prided ourselves on meeting the actual goals of the NCAA and not simply be, quote-unquote, making progress. And Tech has been named as the leader in the Southeast in meeting those goals by the National Women's Sports Federation, if I remember the group. Absolutely. And, and just like President Volpe before you and President Oldham now, I think all of our presidents are very proud of that. Uh, we are indeed. We, we are indeed. Well, talk a little bit. Uh, you're an academic. You're a uh, been a department chairman and and now a dean. Uh, student athletes they play a special role in a university. They represent the university in so many ways. But it's a tough job, isn't it? Because they've got to be a student first and then an athlete. Yeah, I think one way to show that is when you ask student athletes what it is that they wish they had more of. Their answer is free time. That's just universal. Every time the NCAA does a survey, they wish they had more free time because they have, they have to give so much time to practice and conditioning and travel to and from games. And then they've got to make sure they get their studies done, go to class, all the stuff that's associated with that. There's just not a lot of time left over after that. And, you know, they, they have to keep to schedule. And they're good at that. It's one of the reasons why they're, they're so successful proportionally to the student body is because they have schedules that they keep to. And then, of course, on top of that, they have a bit of an advantage 
in having these things called coaches who are, frankly, the closest thing we have to parents on campus. Yes. If somebody's going to get after you, make sure you get up for class and call you out if you're doing something wrong. Um, they're there. I have seen the coaches on campus checking on their their uh, mentees to make sure that they are in class. They still do that on well, a regular basis. That's, that's right. a very good thing. That's that's great. Well, these these student athletes don't major in athletics. They major in uh, some some of the very toughest programs at Tech and go on to do some great things. So they're in engineering and they're in business and they're in in nursing. They're all over the board, aren't they? The last time I looked, our student athletes were in 57 different majors across wow. campus. Virtually all of them um, had at least a few representatives. Um, there are some concentrations, if you will. There are quite a few who, who do choose business as a major. Um, not surprisingly, um, EXPW, Exercise Science and Physical Wellness, attracts a large number as well. Um, many of our student athletes would like to engage in, in being a trainer or a coach or something like that as their ultimate career goal. But ultimately, yes, the, all of those fields are open to them. And sometimes it's a challenge to schedule around nursing labs or electrical engineering labs or whatever. But that's another role that I have helped with as FAR. And I've, I've found the faculty tend to almost always be very willing to help in cases like that. And they, they find ways to make it so that someone can get to her nursing lab and still be to the soccer game on time, for example. And that's a balancing act that's just remarkable, both for the student and the, and the faculty member. Well, we are out of time, Jeff, and I've got all kind of more questions to ask you, but uh, we'll get you back again soon. And uh, congratulations on your new role as dean. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing you again on Local Matters. Well, thank you, Bob. Or at thank least you very hearing much. you again on Local Matters. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you again. Thanks for being here.